Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. Um, if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Psalm 73. This is a very important passage. Very, very important. One of the life groups, that's their verse. So... I'm going to share uh, quickly here so that we could spend the rest of our time in prayer. Uh, I think one of the things that's uh, really important is to take some time out during the fast and to pray together corporately as a church. And the reason behind that is because a lot of times when you do like fasting and any of these spiritual disciplines on your own, it's great. But there's something about coming together as a whole church, the body of Christ, to be able to be encouraged and to pray with one another and that's what we want to do. So if just turn to Psalm 73, and uh, we'll look at uh, three, four verses. But I want to f- uh, first just quickly start off as re- the title is Our One Desire. I don't know how many of you know how the One Desire Fast got started and why we even do it. In fact, I'm going to take a guess and say probably maybe only a small handful of people. Because the One Desire Fast got started in Michigan uh some tens uh when we were about 10 years into our church so around 2005 2006 when we started the one desire fast and let me just kind of give you the genesis of how it started and the context behind it so many of us will understand why we do this uh this is not aestheticism it is not just somehow we kind of make ourselves suffer but there's a reason behind it and i think more than ever before at least here in hong kong we need this fast more than anything else and that's why i want to be able to explain it to all of you so when we first got started it was probably the previous year when a lot of things were happening so we were about eight nine years into our church we saw a lot of salvations we saw a lot of baptisms in fact a lot of great things were happening Uh, we were raising up a lot of leaders we raised up i think back then we had about five five six pastors and so like we were really up on a, a upswing and one of the things that we realized as we're talking about this vision that God gave us and so he gave us a vision during that time for us to accomplish a lot of different things that he put in our hearts but one of the things that came out of this whole process was we realized that a lot of the things that we were talking about and trying to do we were very dependent on ourselves because it's 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 really easy to depend on God when things are hard but it's one of the most difficult things to depend on God when things are going really well when you're successful when things are just seems like everything is flourishing around you you don't pray when those things happen it's only when you're desperate you're like an exchange somewhere you know when things are hard no matter how many times we tell you it's hard but some of you like you just have to experience it so good for you So once again, bottom line is, it's hard to depend on God when things are successful, but it's a little bit easier when you're struggling, when it's hard, when you realize you need God. So here's all these things that are happening. We were thinking about maybe planting churches, doing all these missions, and we were excited because we just felt like we were up on an upswing. But it was in that process where God revealed to us that we're trusting in ourselves, our own wisdom, our own strength, our own abilities. And so as we were heading into the new year, there was a great sense of burden that in order for us to, because it was a big vision, in order for us to do this, then when we looked at where we we were at that time, we realized we need to grow and we need to depend on God because we cannot do this on our human strength, no matter how great the situation looked. So that's when we decided to start this fast amongst uh Uh, just our church and then it spread to all the different churches when we started planting but we said why don't we take the beginning of the year in January sometime and since then it kind of altered because we did it like early beginning but as you know we minister to a lot of college students and they don't come back till like the second week so we kind of took right around that time uh, the beginning of the year to actually fast and pray because right after that fasting and prayer was our retreat And so we just felt like in order for us to do what God is calling us to do, we need to experience him. So as we're thinking about a theme or even a name for this, we just said, let's just make God our one desire. Like everything that we do, everything we're trying to do, let's make God our one desire. So that's kind of like what happened. 
is that we said, let's just call it One Desire Fast, and we're going to pray for everything that we feel like God is calling us to do in this next season. And so as we were doing this, uh, you know, it was kind of interesting because we knew that people were struggling, even though things were outside looking good, but we knew that people were struggling. And as we were fasting, we understood in order to do what God is calling us to do, then we had to obey and sacrifice. But the problem is that a lot of us were very comfortable. Like when you're comfortable, you don't want to sacrifice and you don't want to give. You don't want to obey. And then we also knew in order for us to do some of these things, there were a lot of people who were at a crossroad and they had to make some big decisions whether they're going to stick around or not, should they, should they take that job or not, should they go on an exchange or not and go visit all over Europe or not, you know, they're for free and you don't have to study that hard. So like these types of decisions that they had to make, they were in that crossroad. And I just felt like the, the way you decide is going to determine the trajectory of your life. And I believe that as a principle. That's why some of us, we learn best by failure. Even though you don't like it, no one likes failure, but you need to go through it because some of us, that's how we learn. Others, we learn from other people's mistakes. And so when we see their lives, we're like, we don't want to be like that. And so you don't have to go through it, but you just see someone else's life. And that also teaches you. And so in the midst of all this, we realized in order for us to live for Jesus and live for his kingdom, not only do we need people who are willing to lay down their lives, but people who will love Jesus and make him the one desire. So that's kind of like how everything was kind of pointed towards this one desire fast. Uh, we did it for almost two and a half weeks. Uh, we were trying to go for 21 days when we first got started, then it just started getting shorter, and I don't know why it's getting shorter in Hong Kong, which is not good, but there's something called Chinese New Year. And there's nothing wrong with that. You celebrated, we're glad that you went home and spent some time with your family, but that, it, it stinks, man. It disrupts everything. Some of you are just bad. You've been away for about two months, one and a half months. Unless there's a miracle of God, I've been doing this for over, oh, close to 30 years. You probably didn't do well spiritually. Out of the hundreds, if not thousands of people that have come and gone from the church in Michigan and even the last eight years here, like, unless you have a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ with no structure, you're just walking with God. You don't need life group, you don't need, and you are walking with God. And then you go to a place where there is no structure. I, I would definitely say many of you who've been away, you haven't been doing well spiritually. You've been lazy, comfortable, you, you gained some kilos, so maybe now you're looking at this as, wow, this is a good diet, you know? And so this is, this is what we see all the time. I've been doing, like I said, I see it every single year and nothing changes. Even though we warn you, we try to help you. It's just one of those things. You just have to go through it. And that's how you gain wisdom. Oh, Pastor Seth is not just saying that. Oh, my leader, when they mentioned it, they probably went through it too. So now there's wisdom. And hopefully now some of you are a little bit wiser so that during the summer you'll make some good choices. And even when we come back to next year, you'll make good choices with the different breaks that you have and the different things going on. That's called wisdom. And some of you are very young. Those of you are in college, you don't have that right now. That's why soft, your wisdom in Latin is what, Sophia, right? And then more, sophomore is moronic. You're like an idiot, so it's like a wise fool. That's what we call a sophomore. How many sophomores do we have your second year? Okay, so you know, all right? So that's all I'm gonna say. So that's why we decided let's start off the year fasting and praying seeking God, asking him to make him our one desire so that nothing else in this world will compete, so that we can do the will of God. That's how it got started. And let me just say this, the following year after we fasted and prayed, even throughout that second semester, all the way through the summer, and that new year that was coming up in September, we just saw tremendous growth. We saw a lot of salvations, we saw a lot of baptisms, we saw a lot of people being raised up. I mean, it was, it was phenomenal. And that's why we said, you know, God was speaking. We listened, we obeyed, and we said we're going to do it every single year. Because whatever it is he's calling us to do, we cannot do this on our own strength. 
And so something about starting a whole new year where we're like, God, we want to put you as our priority and we want you to be in the center of all things. And so we began to pray and say, let's do this every single year. That's why I think there's something powerful about fasting and praying to be completely dependent on God so that we make him our desire and our delight. And that's when he will give us the desires of our hearts. If you remember in Psalm 37 verse 4, it says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Uh, different translations will help you to understand this a little bit better. Because when I first read that first, I'm like, oh, he'll give me whatever I desire. But I forgot what that first part really meant. What does it mean to delight yourself in God? And by that, he will give you the desires of your heart. And look at some of these other verses that says this in the Amplified. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires and what? Petitions of your heart. So the petitions are the things that you pray for that is rooted in knowing who God is and his heart. And you pray for those things, the things of God. And this is where I think many of us, we get all mixed up and messed up because we think to ourselves, that if I just pray for this, that somehow he's going to, he's not a, he's not Santa Claus. He's not a genie. If you pray for the lost, he will answer because that's his heart's desire. You pray for holiness. You pray for other things that are in the will of God through scripture. He will delight in answering those prayers. Another verse in another translation in the contemporary English version is this and read the yellow section with me. It says, do what the Lord wants, and he will give you your heart's desire. So delighting yourself is really spending a time with God that you begin to know his heart, and you begin to obey. You do what he desires for you to do, and as you're delighting in that, then whatever you're praying for, I guarantee you, your prayers will change. You'll stop praying about your future. You stop praying about, oh, am I going to get married? When am I going to get married? Or how about that job? I'm not saying those things are not important to pray about. But you're going to start thinking about the lost, the world, people who don't know Jesus Christ, about people in our church who are hurting. How can we become a healthy body? Your prayer starts changing. That's why I keep on saying to some of you, I know where your spiritual life is if I just hear your prayers. And what you pray about, what you pray for, you can tell a lot about what's in a person's heart. Another translation, the Good News translation, it says this, seek what? Come on, your happiness in the Lord, and he will give you your des heart's desire. See, the problem is many of us, we seek happiness in the things of the world. Success, comfort. You think that's going to make you happy. No wonder he doesn't give you the desires of your heart. Because all those things are going to bring sadness, not happiness, but sadness and emptiness in your life. That's why it says, seek your happiness in where? In the Lord. So the more you delight in him, the more you spend time with him, then what happens is that your desires become his desires. So when you begin to pray for the desires, because it's his desires, those things are going to be answered. And as many of you know, there will be a lot of transition coming up in our church in the future. We already shared that. And my question to you is, are you ready? Are you ready? Are we ready as a church? Are we dependent on him by delighting in him? Is, is our desire or are our desires lined up with his desires and his kingdom purposes? Therefore, to do these things that God is calling us to do, we have to make sure that we're not focused on ourselves, but Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And so his desire, Jesus Christ, his desire must be our desire. And if we must keep this fire burning in our hearts as we fast and pray. So let me just share with you like the main thrust that I want to I want to talk about today that it's going to kind of make it more reflective. I'm going to ask three questions for you to think about and answer. And it's simply this that we can grow our desire for God by growing our fire for God. And I want to talk a little bit about the fire in our hearts. What does that mean? How is the imagery of fire throughout scripture? Why is that important? Because I really believe this theme of a fire is not only significant in scripture,
But I think that's the thing that will help us to grow in that desire for the things of God. So let me ask the question, which is how do we then grow our fire for God so that our desire for God will grow? I'm, I'm going to present it this way. There are several things that we can learn about the fire of God through scripture. And I'm going to give you some of those things so then we can talk about the fire of God growing in us so that our desires will be God's desire. So our one desire will be for Jesus Christ. The first thing is this. God is a consuming fire. Come on, turn to somebody next to you and say, God is a consuming fire. Hebrews chapter 12, listen to what it says in verse 28 to 29. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us what? Offer to God acceptable worship. Now, this is important because when you look at the Old Testament, and this is the book of Hebrews, there were a lot of Jewish people that he was speaking to. And so they would have to offer sacrifices. And there was fire and there was a sacrifice, an animal that was given. And he's talking about offering God acceptable worship. It was a service to God with reverence and awe for our God is what? A consuming fire. So every single time we're thinking about a fire, it's, it's God who is this consuming fire. And in some context, it's about his holiness. The second thing is this. God is the source of the fire. This is another very important concept you have to understand. Not only is he the consuming fire, but he is the source of any fire. Look at Leviticus 9, chapter 24, or chapter 9, verse 24 in the NIV. It says this, God, fire came out from where? The presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offerings and the fat portions on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted for joy and fell face down. So when the Old Testament, when they were offering sacrifices as a worship unto God, as they were putting out the fire, the presence of God came out of the fire. So the source of the fire is from God and God alone. What I'm trying to say is this. You cannot try to generate fire within you. It has to come from God. That's why some of you get very frustrated, very discouraged, because you see your heart's not in the right place. Your heart is not on fire for Jesus Christ, so you try harder. And it's not about trying harder. It has to come from God, so you got to learn how to depend on him and ask him, put that fire in me, because this fire... You're the consuming fire, and this fire comes from you. The second thing is this. God is present in the fire. So you'll see that all throughout Scripture. Let me give you a couple verses. Exodus chapter 13, verse 21 through 22. And it says, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way. And by night in what? Say it. Pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people so what we notice is that whenever the pillar of cloud was there during the day they knew that god was present and then in nighttime when the pillar of fire was shown that they knew that god was present and they followed it so one thing you have to understand is that god is present he is there when there is this fire, and we see this in the Exodus passage. Another passage, some of you know this, th there's another in the fire. It's, it's a song, right? Daniel chapter 3, verse 24, listen to what it says in verse 25. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astounded, or astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, um, saying to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then it says, they answered and said to the king, true, O king, look, he answered, King Nebuchadnezzar said this. He says, I see what? Four men loose and walking in the midst of the fire. Another in the fire. And then they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the what? Son of God. So what you have to understand is that God is present in the fire, like what we see here, that that fourth person was like the Son of God. Lastly, is that God wants the fire to burn. We see this in Leviticus chapter 6, verse 19 through 13. Listen to what it says. Command Aaron and his sons, saying, this is the law of the burnt offering. The burnt offering shall be on the hearth on the altar all night until the morning, and what? 
the fire of the altar shall be kept burning on it. And the priest shall put on his linen garments and put his linen garments on his body and he shall take up the, take up the ashes to which the fire has reduced the burnt offering on the altar and put them beside the altar. Then he shall take off his garments and put it on other garments and carry the ashes outside the camp to a clean place. The what? The fire on the altar shall be kept what? Burning on it. It shall not go out. The priest shall burn wood on it every morning, and he shall arrange the burnt offering on it, and shall burn on it the fat of the peace offerings. Fire shall be kept burning on the altar continually. It shall not go out. Why is this important? The significance of this is that the permanence of the fire reminded the people of the perpetual presence of God. Why? Because this offering that the priests were supposed to lift up and the ashes they collect were holy because these things were burnt up and then he would bring it outside the camp. But his responsibility as the priest and the family of priests, they were supposed to keep the fire going because once again, it represented his presence. It is not supposed to go out. It's supposed to keep on burning because it is a sign of the atonement or the forgiveness of sins. And it's about life. You receive life as your sin is forgiven by God because he's a holy God. So knowing that God is a consuming fire, knowing that he's a source of the fire, knowing that he's present in the fire and how God wants the fire to continue to burn. Now the question I want you to ask yourself is comes in three forms. And here are the three questions which will tie into the Psalm 73 passage. The first question is this, who do I draw near to? So if we're talking about the fire, it comes from God and his presence is in our hearts and he lives amongst us and he wants us to continue to burn. Then the question you have to ask yourself is who do I draw near to? Let's read Psalm 73 verse 23 to 24. Listen to what it says. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterwards you will receive me to glory. Now, verse, let me see what, yeah. So let me just stop there. The reason why as we start off this section, you have to understand the context so that verse 23 and 24 and 25 and 26 will make sense. Let's jump up all the way to verse one through three. And let's read it. Listen to what it says. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now, this is going to be very important. You need to understand this as we're talking about the fire in our hearts to awaken the desire that will be God's desire. So the question is, who do you draw near to? What's happening in this passage is here is the psalmist who's supposed to be like the spiritual guy who loves God, but all of a sudden he starts looking around and guess what he sees? He's like, wait a minute. Why is it that all these people who are wicked, who don't believe in God, who are living a sinful life, why are they prospering? And here I am trying to live a holy life and trying to obey God and my life just sucks, if I can say that, or life just stinks. That, that's what he's saying in this psalm. And then all the way through verse 4 through 15, he begins to compare himself with those who are not living for God. And he's probably thinking, is it really worth following God? Don't raise your hand, but I'm wondering how many of you have ever done that. You look at some of your friends. They're not living for God. They're not committed to anything. They're just committed to themselves. They're trying to be successful in work. And you think their life is perfect or you think that, man, that's such a comfortable life. And here you are trying to serve, trying to do all these things. And you're wondering to yourself, why do I need to do this? Is it really worth doing all this stuff? I look at all these other people. They seem to be doing fine. They come to church on Sunday. Maybe not to life, but they come to church on Sunday. Seems like they're a Christian. Why is it that I have to do all this stuff? And this is what happens when you look at your life and you lose the perspective. So my question to you is during those times, who do you draw near to? This is why so many of you are addicted to many different things. Instead of drawing near to God, you draw near to all these other things. That's why one desire fast, the reason why 
It's a beautiful thing about some of you are finally learning sign out of your account. Amen. Can I get a good amen? You realize, oh my goodness, I'm doing this unconsciously. Exactly. So we always tell people sign out of the account because when you click on it out of habit, that's grace, that's understandable, you know, but then you have to sign in. Then, then that's, you know, very simple, right? Then you're like, I don't care about God. I want to do what I want to do. By that time, it's too late. We have nothing to say to you. Go repent. But if you just accidentally put because it's out of habit, then it's understandable. That's why we keep on telling people, sign out. Some of you have overestimation of yourself. Like, I can handle it. But then you're working on some stuff, and then boom, a notice comes up. A friend request. Like, Ooh, I was wondering when she's going to ask me to be her friend. So you think you're focused. You think you're strong. But come on now. That's why your soap isn't very deep because that's when you got interrupted. It's looking through all the names. Some of you are not even at that chapter, but it's okay. There will be a lot of names coming up. And then in verse 16 and 17, he begins to have this better perspective. He was like, why are they like this? Oh my God, their life is so much better. And then in verse 16 and 17, he begins to recognize who God is and where his heart is at. Look at verse 16 and 17, it says this. But when I thought how to understand this, all this, like why are they better? Why are they more successful? Why are they more happy? It looks more happy and my life is just horrible. When I thought how to understand this, it seems to me a what? A wearisome task. It's just like, oh God, I just don't understand it. Why do I have to suffer? Why do I have to go through hardships and look at their life? It's, it's, a, it's a tiring task. And here's the key word I want everyone to say it. Until, come on, say it. Until I went into where? The sanctuary of God, because back then the sanctuary of God is where the presence of God was. Then I discerned their end. That's when it finally clicked for them. Yeah, right now my life might not be great, but look at how they're living their life. It seems so happy, but they're arrogant. They're living for themselves. They're self-centered. They want to glorify themselves. It's all about their own comfort. And what's going to happen? We know their end. They're going to be judged. And so then when he began to think about that, he goes, yes, it's hard trying to live this life for God, but I know where my end destiny will be. And that's why I love verse 18 to 22. Listen to what he says when he came to that realization. Truly, you put them on a slippery path and send them sliding over the cliff to destruction. In an instant, they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. When you arise, O Lord, you will laugh at their silly ideas as a person laughs at dreams in the morning. Then I realized that my heart was what? Bitter. And I was all torn up inside. I was so foolish and arrogant, I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you, Lord. When he finally realized where their destination will be without God, that's when he realized, wow, I am thankful. And I must have been foolish to you, God, for saying all this stuff out of my bitterness. And that's why in verse 23, the key word is nevertheless. The psalmist says, I, will con I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. He knew that it was God who guides him in his counsel. So the question once again, who do you draw near to when things get hard? Some of you are fasting and it's not easy. You want to give up. Some of you already gave up. And to you, I just want to say, even though you failed, the Bible tells us that even though a righteous man falls seven times, that he picks himself up. Try it again. Sign out of all your accounts and have people help you as you have those meal times if you're going to eat one meal or liquid or whatever it may be that's why james chapter 4 verse 7 and 8 says submit yourself therefore to god resist the devil and he will flee from you it says draw near to god and he will draw near to you cleanse your hands you sinners and purify your hearts you double-minded drawing near to god is going to be the key to put the fire burning in your hearts so that your desire will be for the things of god and not for yourself who do you draw near to? The second question is this. Who do I desire? Or what do I desire? Let's read verse 25. Listen to what it says. Who have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. 
this idea of desire is like going into the soul, what we long for. That's why Psalm 42, verse 1 and 2b, it says, As the deer, many of you know this passage, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul, O God. My soul thirsts for God and for the living God. Even when you go back to Psalm 37, 4, as we read earlier, it reminds us that when we desire God more than anything else, then his desire will be our desire. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I think for some of us, we really have to try to fill our hearts. Uh, let, 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 me, let me rephrase it. I, I, I really believe for some of us to realize that your only desire is God, you need to actually fill your heart with the things of this world. I'm not saying go sin. Listen to me carefully. Some of us in our rebellion, what we normally do is we say, you know what, God? I don't need you, and I don't believe what you say is true. And you see this. You see it in your own life. You see this amongst your friends. You see this with people in your class. You see this amongst people in your life stage. What's even worse is you saw them when they were undergrad with you, and now they're single adults, and you see they're totally going the other direction. And you, some of you are blindsided because you never thought that was the case. That's why I always tell, I don't care how great some of these people think that they're in college. They could go to all the meetings. They have all the structures. But then once all that is gone and there's more free time, that's why a lot of people who graduate from college and they go to our they're like, oh, why don't we have this? Or why don't we have this? Because they're dependent on structure. If you cannot grow without things that we provide for you to do, then something's wrong. I'm not against structure, but structure is supposed to be just a guardrail to help you to move in the direction God wants you to go. But some of you have been dependent on the structure so that when there is no more structure, like going home, you guys fall off the face of this earth spiritually. That should humble you to realize maybe I don't really love God or I'm not growing with God, but I'm really in love with meetings and doing things to show people how great I am. That's why I think it's important for us to understand why when you ask yourself, what is it that you desire? More than anything else, some of us need to experience things and failures so that we can then say, God, I desire you more than anything else. I think the best example we see is in Luke chapter 15. I'm going to just read it very quickly, and I want to highlight a couple things here. As many of you know this passage. It says, a few days later, this uh, younger son picked up all his belongings. It's about the prodigal son. And I want you to kind of, I'm going to highlight just a couple phrases. It says, there he wasted all his money in wild living. So he was just rebellious, doing his own thing. It's all about him. About the time his money ran out. So now the money that he was spending is running out. There was a great famine. So a situation swept over the land and he began to starve. So once again, there's a hunger. There's a deep, like not only physical hunger, but realizing, wait a minute. Like, I am starving. But he began to see a little bit more clear. Then he says, he goes to the local farmer. He hires him. And then he begins to feed the pigs. Now, he's a Jewish man. You're not supposed to be around pigs. That's unclean. But he had to go to that lowest level for him to realize. And then it says in verse 16, the young man became so hungry that he even, uh, that even the pods that he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. So, he was that starving in that way that he saw this, what he was giving to the pig. He goes, wow, I'm so hungry, I might even be able to eat this. But no one gave him anything to eat. And I love verse 17. Can we just say that? Let's just say that verse together, even though it's not highlighted. Come on. When he finally came to his senses. Let's just stop there. When he finally came to his senses. It's like a wake-up call. That's what some of us need. That's why when we're fasting and praying, God will show us and expose to us the rebellious hearts, the lack of trust, the lack of faith. He will show us just how much we are so self-centered. We're so dependent on different addictions that we have that we didn't realize how addicted we were. Because we're now we're trying to fast from it and we realize it's hard. Are some of you like impatient more than before? Are some of you more agitated? Like these are the kind of things that show you that your heart is not in the place where you're becoming more like Christ, but it's all about you. So he finally comes to his senses, and what does he say? He begins to say, even the servants at my dad's house 
it's better fed and better taken care of. So what did he say? He says, I'm going to go to my father and say, I'm sorry. So not only was there a realization, he came to his senses, but there was a sense of repentance that was going to come. And you know the rest of the story. And he finally comes, the father runs, and then lavished party for him, forgave him, loved him. So can I ask you, who or what do you desire more than God? And that's why the fast is good, because it helps us to show us what we're longing for and desiring. Let me close with the third question. It's simply this. Not only who do I draw near to and who do I desire, in verse 26 we see who do I depend on. Look at verse 26. It says, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Even though outwardly, which is his flesh, and inwardly, which is his heart, because he says, even though my flesh and my heart may fail, the psalmist finds strength in God because God is his portion. God is what helps him, feeds him. It is his portion forever, that he's all that he needs. And if you really understood this, if we understood this, then we will be so much more dependent on God, especially when things are hard. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 through 10, it says this, and you know the story about Paul telling the people of uh, Corinth, and he had some kind of affliction. It was some kind of suffering, some kind of weakness. And he was asking God, please, God, take this away. This is too hard. I don't want to go through this. And then what does God say to him? He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And it says, for the sake of Christ, for the sake of Christ, then I am content with what? Weakness, weaknesses, insult, hardships, persecution, calamities. For when I am weak, then what? I am strong. See, part of fasting is that you, you get in touch with how weak you are, how frail you are. You don't have the strength on your own. And that's a good thing. And in that moment, that's when you're going to start depending on God. So are you feeling weak? Are you feeling tired? Are you going to trust in yourself? Are you going to trust in God? That's a challenge for us as we think about this fast. We only have about five more days. And I don't know what you've been fasting from or fasting away from. The question is, what are you now feasting on? What, what are you trusting? And so I think these are the questions we need to ask ourselves. So we can grow in our desire for God by growing our fire for God. This fire has to be initiated by God. The fire has to be something that we understand is the very presence of God. This fire has to be continual as it burns in us. And the only way we're going to be able to experience that is when we're in prayer and dependence on Him and Him alone. I pray that you will ask those three questions. And those three questions as I've been asking you is just very simple. Who is it that you're drawing near to, especially when you're struggling or during this fast? Who is it that you desire or desiring more than anything else right now? And lastly, who are you depending on? I'm going to ask us to stand and we're going to just reflect on these three questions for ourselves. Let's just put up those three questions if we can. Once again, who do I draw near to? And who is it that I desire? Or what is it that I desire? And lastly, who do I depend on? I'm going to ask us right now if we can just, just quietly as we're standing there. I want to give you a couple minutes just to reflect. A answer these questions for yourself. Who do I draw near to? Who or what do I desire? And who is it that I'm depending on? Or it could be what, what am I depending on? I want you to try to answer that as best as you can. And for each one, if it's not Jesus, then I'm telling you right now, this fast is just a weight loss program. It's just saving face because some of these people 
have asked you if you're going to fast. It is your attempt to, in a human paradigm, trying to do something for God. And he, he, he's not, let me, let me put it this way. He's not impressed. That's why when you look at Psalm 51, what does it say? If you delighted in burnt offerings and sacrifices, I would have brought it. But what does he say? But God delights in a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. So if you're doing this fast and it's all about you, trust me, God is not impressed. In fact, you're just starving yourself and you're just trying to look good. And it's, it's, you're, you're gonna be like, yeah, the fast was just okay. But if you make it about Jesus, because you are drawing near to him every single day as you spend time with him, your desire is for him because the fire is burning in your heart. And you're dependent on him when things get hard and when you feel tired and when you know you need strength because your, your flesh and your heart may fail, but God, God is that desire in you, your portion forever. He's the strength then I think some of the prayers that you lift up, God will, God will hear. I don't know what it is. It's that kind of pure love for God, that broken, contrite heart that says He will not despise. Some of you are trying to pray for your future. If your fasting is about you, then whatever you're praying about, that decision you're going to make, it's going to be about you. It's not going to be about you. It will look like it's about Jesus, but it's not. I'm going to talk about this Sunday. You better read Fire is going to come down. We're going to ask for a fire coming up. Because I'm going to talk about obedience. So it's so easy to think that I'm doing all these spiritual things, but it's really for yourself. I don't think God is impressed. I really don't think God is going to pour down his blessing on us if that's our heart. But a broken and contrite heart, God, I'm just sinful. But because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross for me, I don't have to trust in my own righteousness, my own goodness. But Lord, you are good. You are righteous. And you made me righteous. That I did not deserve. That's why every single time I fail, it reminds me about the cross and how much I need you. And you then depend on him again as you pray, seek his face, make him your one desire. And then you draw near to him every single time you're tempted to go in all these different directions. You're you're drawn to him because of the beauty of who he is. And then you start praying the things of his heart. My thought is, why would he not answer those things that are consistent with his word, that is within the will of God? Why would he not answer? Can I just challenge some of it? There's nothing wrong with praying for your future. There's nothing wrong with praying about some decisions you're going to have to make. Please do that. But I'm just wondering if during the close of this fast, if some of you will lift up prayers that has nothing to do with you, but everything to do with his kingdom. That you start praying for the lost soul in your life group and you'll see some of them come to know Christ after this fast at the retreat. Can I get a good amen? Do you want to see that? That some of you have been planting seeds and there's no change, but then as you're fasting and praying for the things of the kingdom of God, that some of these people will come to Christ because that is the will of God that none should perish, but all should come to know. Jesus Christ. You pray that prayer. Why would he not answer? In his timing, his will. Pray for our church. Pray that we will be able to be a salt and light, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. That they will see your good works and praise the Father in heaven and give glory to him. That's Matthew chapter 5. Start praying scripture and then see what happens. And you see God blessing our church, working in our church. Because it has nothing to do with you. Nothing. But think about our prayers. It's always about me, my success, my future. No wonder you seem as if God is so far away. Not that he doesn't love you. Not that he doesn't want to answer your prayer. But he sees your self-centeredness. He sees your own desires, your rebellious spirit, that you want what you want. Instead of saying, God, not my will, but your will be done. What would happen? If we pray during this fast of things that has nothing to do with you or nothing to do with me, but all to do with God's kingdom, all to do with about his work here on this earth to glorify himself.
plant more churches, Lord, so that more people can come to see you and know you. Raise up more leaders so that we can have more life groups. Even when I shared about the family gathering, some people are like, oh, how are we going to do this? And I'm just like, listen, I understand the human nature to respond. It's like, this is too big of a dream, too big of a goal. Look at where we are. We're going to lose a pastor. Some of these people are not going to recommit and do all this stuff. And I'm just looking at these people and I'm just thinking to myself, that just shows you a lot about where your heart is at. Why? Because you think it's about human effort. When was the last time you stepped out in faith that was so crazy that all we see it all throughout Scripture and God did some miraculous things? That's why we don't have those kind of testimonies of fully trusting in God and He's the one who did it. But we have a lot of testimonies of, hey, I spent time with this person and they came to know Christ. It was all because I spent time with them. It's all about you. We don't hear these people miraculously getting healed. We don't hear about these testimonies of God doing way above and beyond what human beings can do. When was the last time you heard those testimonies? I haven't heard them for a while in our church. It's all about what I did or what we did. No, it's not. I pray that we will come to a point in our church that it will be so crazy that no human being can do the things that we feel like God is calling us to do. So that when he does do it, there's not a single person that will receive credit, but it will be all God. Can I get a good amen to that? We don't need another hero. We already got one. His name is Jesus. He's our hero. We look to him. He's going to save. He's going to work. He's going to multiply. Is that Pastor Seth? Is that that leader? We don't need another hero. We've got one already in the name of Jesus. That's why some of you love to look at human beings and what can they do or like how are we going to do this? It's not about people, and what they can do, but it's all about Jesus and what he has done and what he is doing and what he will do. So I'm wondering if you would start praying God-centered, kingdom-minded, expansive, the will of God filling this earth as the water covers the earth. I'm wondering if some of the prayers that we lift up, no matter how crazy it may seem, that God will answer it because he knows that only he can do it and no one else. That's why some of our prayers are too weak because it's so small because all we see is from our perspective. What would happen if we had God's perspective and started praying big prayers for God to work because no human being can do this, but only you can, God. Man, I'm telling you right now, our church will be on fire. You will not fall away. You will not be like, oh, yeah, I'm just apathetic. Every time I hear that, it just shows that the fire is dying inside of you. And the reason why the fire burns is not because you're trying harder, but you're drawing near to God. You're desiring God. You're dependent on God. So that fire will continually to burn. And when that fire burns, that desire that's not within the will of God, it will burn away. And that desire that's from God and what he wants you to do, he's going to light it on fire. It's going to combust. It's going to blow up for the glory of God. This is why I believe churches that pray, churches that are dependent on him, and they desire nothing more than Jesus and Jesus alone, they spend time with him, they draw near to him, are the churches that will do incredible things for Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? Can I get a witness here? Amen. I want to be that kind of church. I want to be a part of that kind of church. And if our church starts going in a different direction, then I, I don't want anything to do with that. I will fight. I will tooth and, you know, everything that I have, I'm going to claw. And I'm going to make sure that our church is focused on Jesus because he's our hero. And that our church will be dependent on God. That we'll have people in our church who are dependent on God. So, Father, I just pray in the name of Jesus, God, that you will help us to see our conditions of our heart. Help us to come to our senses tonight. Expose in us, Lord, our own self-centeredness and selfishness and the things that we desire. I pray that we'll get to a point where we can say, whom do we have in heaven but you? And nothing 
on earth I desire besides you. I'm praying, God, that you will teach us how to draw near to you because you're already drawing near to us. Help us to listen to your voice. May we not be distracted or pulled away by so many other things and our own flesh and our own desires. But help us to see that you're drawing us near. And through that, Lord, you're teaching us how to be dependent on you. Because we cannot do anything on our own. Even this fast, we cannot fast on our own strength. We're realizing that. So I'm praying for some supernatural work in some of our hearts in the last five days or so of this fast. I pray that you'll give us insights. You'll give us more exposure to your heart. You'll open up our spiritual eyes to see all the wonderful things that you are doing and all the wonderful things that you want to do. I pray that we will die, Lord. Die to ourselves. Die to our own little petty dreams. Our own little world that we control. May we die to that. And allow, allow your resurrection power to bring us to life so that everything that we do will bring you glory and honor. Oh, Lord Jesus, it is our sincere prayer that we will desire you more than anything else or anyone else in this world. Just come right now, Holy Spirit. Speak to us. Touch our hearts. Open up our minds. Illuminate the things that you need to. And as you are the source of the fire, Lord, burn our hearts. Set it ablaze. Set it ablaze. Like I said, I want to give you a couple minutes thinking about those questions. And as the Holy Spirit illuminates things to you, I want you to then spend some time in that humble recognition and that realization, God, I haven't been drawing near to you. I haven't been desiring you. I haven't been dependent on you. Forgive me, Lord. Because you put that fire in me. I don't want it to die. May the fire continually burn morning and night. And let your incense arise as a living sacrifice. That's our prayer right now, Lord Jesus. Come on, church, just for the next couple of minutes. Let's spend some time in reflection and even maybe repentance if God shows you. And will you express my heart's desire, Lord, my one desire is for you. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.